All right, so we are continuing our series entitled The Habits of Grace, and before we get into our sermon today, I wanted to have a minute and just share with you, um, it's the new year and God's been doing some really amazing things in our church. There's some things that we long for God to, to do and to see take place uh, as a church body, and so I wanted to take a few minutes and just share some of the vision of what we as a leadership team uh, envision for God to be doing right here in Cross Point downtown in our church and through our church here in Orlando. So uh, if you're new to Cross Point, it's our mission to point our communities to Jesus Christ. So very simple. Our heart is that when, when, we, when we lift up and we exalt something, we exalt the name of Jesus. When we want to see God move and change the lives and hearts of people, we believe that it's in Jesus' name that those things take place. He is the person that we point to. He is the one that we worship. He is who our church exists for. In fact, Jesus said himself that he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we trust that he is working in us and through us by the power of his Holy Spirit to lead and guide Cross Point downtown. And so uh, I've had the privilege of coming to Cross Point downtown back in September of 2015. And what a journey it has been. I've been a part of Cross Point. Uh, Cross Point as a, as a whole is almost 15 years old this coming um, March. And uh, Cross Point downtown actually just entered our fourth year in January of this year. So really cool uh, uh, to be a part of this, uh, to be a part of Cross Point as a whole. And as you all know, there's been uh, some really difficult times of transition. Um, back in May of 2015, um, we learned that our lead pastor was not walking with God as we thought, and it was a very difficult transition, a very difficult journey. God used Pastor Andrew in an amazing way, and I am so grateful for God's work in that, and I continue to pray for him. But I know if you were here then, you've experienced some of the difficulties of that transition. But in the midst of it, God's hand is holding his church together and he's bringing her along and he's walking with us. And so through that, God brought my wife and I here in September and it has been an absolute joy to be the lead pastor here at Cross Point downtown and we have loved it and we continue to love it and we can't wait for the days that God has ahead for us. So I wanted to just recalibrate our hearts and minds for the new year together as we align ourselves with the purposes of God for his church. So in order to know where we're going, I think it's helpful to know where we've been. Uh, just uh, wanted to share that. One of the ways that, that churches track me- metrics is um, how many people have been in average attendance, what is the annual giving, and all those th- type of things to help us see what God is doing and, and to align our hearts with the heart of God and saying, here's the harvest that God is bringing, here's the things that God is doing, and how do we as a church orient ourselves around what the Holy Spirit is producing? 
so in 2015, um, this was uh, just a year ago, we ended with an average attendance of 81 people on a week-to-week basis, and our total giving was, uh, for the year, internal tithes and offerings, $113,000. So that was in 2015. Um, and when I say internal tithes and offerings, we have been supported by multiple church planning organizations, by Crosspoint as a whole, and in 2015, uh, that was true, and even some of last year. Uh, 2016, our average attendance was 94, and our internal tithes and offerings for the year came in at a total of $150,000. So you see God doing something uh, really amazing in the growth of our church, in the growth of giving, and, um, and you know, here's, here's what I find absolutely amazing about what, what God has done is that, you know, when we talk about those numbers, we're not just talking about statistics, right? I, I think it's really important that we acknowledge that. Uh, Jesus knows every one of those people by name. In fact, he called them to be here. He's worked in their lives. Last week, Eduardo, I'm going to use you for a minute. We're, we're out here just, just chatting. Eduardo said, you know, in just a couple of weeks, I'm celebrating my one year, our first year at Crosspoint downtown. He said, I met Dave and Mary Tarpley right here, and they welcomed me. And I look back after a year in your guys' life, and I see how much God has done. I remember baptizing you just this past summer, and Natalia hearing of your growth in community. I remember meeting with Mary Bolander, and how God, she she shared how God has grounded her more firmly in the word now than ever. And watching marriages take place, children being born, all of these things represent those numbers that we talk about. In fact, the reason why we talk about numbers is because we talk about life change that's taking place in his people. Because ultimately, if one life can be transformed by the power of the gospel for the glory of God, it is a fight worth fighting. It is a life worth living to be saved from, by the grace of God, from the wrath of God, is something that's so worth celebrating. And so I, I want to I just celebrate some of what God has done here. Number one, I want to give us this big praise. In September of 2016, I came up and I said, we need to work towards being self-sustaining. That means that running financially on internal tithes and offerings. So that was in September. We're here in January. And one big praise is from September through January, Crosspoint downtown has been totally self-sustaining. A really amazing thing. I think we could celebrate that, right? And so thank you for giving back to God in such a way that blesses this church and allows us to do what we do each and every week. There, there's also an opportunity for us to pray. And so um, I think our big New Year's challenge is that we as a church grow into being a church. So we, we've had a numbers bump over the last year, but we've also seen numbers kind of plateau and decline and kind of hang out there for a little while. And one of the things that I think is important for a church to self-sustain is not only the financial resources, but the human resources that make that possible. And so I want to encourage you 
to be praying with us that God would continue to grow this church. Growth in the church is about making disciples. It's not about filling these chairs. It's about seeing people go grow deeper in the life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. To long to pursue after God through his word. To know that they can belong to God's body, the church. And that they have access to God in prayer. That this Savior Jesus Christ has done that. And that we are called to live on mission to go and tell of the goodness, grace, and glory of God through our lives into the lives of others so that they could hear that message of transformation and their hearts could be renewed and transformed. And so uh, I want to I ask that you participate with us in this. This is not just, how am I going to do this? There are questions that I ask myself in my own personal growth as a pastor. I realize that I have some limitations, that there are areas that I need to grow and God needs to use me and and work through me and I need to believe more deeply in him. So I ask that you pray for me and also our leadership in that, but also that you participate with us because this is not just the work of any individual. God has called us to belong to his body, the church, that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. That he, in all things, he might have supremacy. And God was pleased to reconcile his church to himself. To use us to be a part of this transformation project. And seeing those who are far from God being brought near. Who are those people that you've been praying for? Who are those people that you have sought to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? How can our church come alongside of you in a greater way to see that take place? And how can you come alongside of our church to see that we're pointing this city and these communities to Jesus Christ? So would you be a part of this in three ways? Number one, intercede, pray. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. You know the demographics of Orlando and that there is a city that is far from God that we can reach by the power of the gospel. Pray that God would bring in the lost, but also that God would use you as leaders for those lost people to come to know Christ. Number two, invest. Invest in what God is doing here at Cross Point Downtown. You have a part in this, whether it's kids ministry or set up and tear down in your community group, in the lives of those around you, in even the life here of this downtown YMCA that so graciously allows us to be a part of this. Invest, invest, invest in what God is doing here. And number three, invite. Invite those who are far from God into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Open up your homes, open up your dinner table, and know that our church is an open place for them to come and draw near to what God is doing in bringing redemption to his people. Pray for us that we would grow into the church that God has called us to be, to influence this city, and to see God bring renewal. He is making all things new. With that, let's pray. God, we thank you for your work 
We thank you that God right now, you're not done with us. You've brought this church along, that you've held our hands, that you've carried us, Lord. And that we've seen, God, times of difficulties, but times of triumph. And God, as I shared that with each person of this congregation, God, I I look into people whose lives you are working in a mighty way in. And God, we cooperate with what your spirit is doing. And we ask for your help and grace. And the church says it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, that was um, just a little freebie here. We're going we're gonna to start the sermon once I reset my timer. And book of Hebrews chapter 10, 20, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mentioned earlier how it is the mission of Cross Point Church to point our communities to Jesus Christ. And we talk about pointing our communities to Jesus Christ. There is this one another command in the gospel that compels us to not only be focused on those who are far from God, which is what we are called to be focused on, but also those who are right near us in our body, the church. It's truly important that the church loves one another as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And there's something that I believe is absolutely fascinating that happens when the body of believers gather. So we're here today and we're in these seats and we come and we submit our lives to the word of God and we ask that God's Holy Spirit would fill us that he would bring to realities the things of the scriptures in our flesh, in our lives, in our skin, deep down in our bones, that the words that we hear and we come to gather to understand are the words that sink deep down into our bones and that life change takes place. Now, the expectation of life change isn't that you would just go home and you would have a few notes down and and that you would see those things change your life. Now that's part of it, but I really believe that the power of the gospel through the movement and work of the Holy Spirit changes our lives right now. Like, like right, right now you came into the door and, and, and you, you came into this place and, and Jesus is sanctifying you. He's making you more holy. This active work is taking place right now. This is God we're talking about, right? And God can and God will and God is doing that right now. There's a mighty expectation that we have to come and gather and realize that this is taking place. 
This is why we're here. We're not here just to say hello to friends. We're not here even simply to serve. We're here with an expectation that the God of the universe would fill our hearts and lives with more of him. That he is making us holy as he is holy. And that that work is something that we cooperate with and we unite to and we spur along one another towards love and good deeds. Part of the reason why we have community groups is to open our Bibles and to gather around the word of God and to say, how is God using this that was written so long ago under the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit in my life here today, in my workplace, in my anxiety, in my depression, in my fears, in my pride. How is God using his word in our lives? And brother to brother, sister to sister, in circles allowing that work to take place, sharing prayer requests, being open and authentic with each other, realizing that we don't have to crucify one another because we have a Savior who's been crucified for us, right? So we can be a place that shares our deep, dark secrets without fearful, being fearful of someone else's judgment because we know the judgment has been rendered and for those who are in Christ, we've been counted forgiven in Him. So it allows us to share when we've had a bad day, bad month, bad week, a bad year, a bad decade, and allow God to begin to draw us near to him as the church surrounds one another with love. That is a beautiful picture that we long for as a church. That is something that I have seen in you. That is something that we as a church are continually growing in and allowing God to move in that mighty way. So it's pointing our communities to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? There's a, what's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Anybody ever heard of that? The Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's a confessed truth that the church rallied around. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. He, it asks the question, what is the chief end of man? So let me bring that to today's language. What is the purpose of men and women of humanity today? If we were to engage in our highest purpose, our highest calling, what would be the chief end of man? And then it answers that question. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief Chief purpose, chief priority, goal, calling, ambition is that God would be glorified in us and we would be satisfied in him, right? That our lives would not be about us, that our lives would be about something much bigger. In fact, if we find ourselves self-consumed, then oftentimes we realize that we're not living for something bigger and greater that our lives must be connected to. But the chief end of man is that God would be glorified in us 
and we would enjoy him forever. You see that it's not this begrudging task. It's not this task of duty alone, but it's one of delight because we know that our greatest pleasure is found in the glory of God. That we would experience God's glory and it would give us joy and pleasure that abounds forevermore. This is why we're doing this series, The Habits of Grace, for the enjoyment of God. I firmly believe as your pastor that if you do not walk day by day in the word of God, it's going to hinder your enjoyment of what matters most. I firmly believe that if you don't have communion with God through prayer, that you can talk to God and that the God of the universe gives his ear to you and listens to you, that is going to hinder your enjoyment of what matters most. I firmly believe that on a Sunday morning in January of 2017, the greatest place that you can be is belonging to God's body, the church, and there's no better place for you to be than right here, right now, because God's movement is alive right here in his people. These are the habits of grace that cause us to say, God, be glorified in me. And God, let me find my pleasure in you. A.W. Tozer, an old author and pastor that has gone to be with the Lord some time ago, wrote this. It was in his, in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, God formed us for his pleasure. And so formed us that we as well as he can in divine communion enjoy the sweet and mysterious mingling of kindred personalities. He meant us to see him and to live with him and to draw our life from his smile. There's this mingling of souls that God made us for. In the garden of of Eden, you, you saw that God walked in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. And that sin broke this mingling of soul, these kindred personalities in this connection because God made us for himself, but we wanted to be made for me. We wanted life to be all about me. And so what we did is we've taken the beauty of God's creation and we've perverted it and made it about what we want and not what God wants because in the garden, that's what sin did. And that's what sin continues to do this day. We want to live autonomously or apart from God. We say, God, I don't want to draw near to you. That, that's why you struggle with these habits, Right? Because when you wake up in the morning, it's easier to push snooze on the alarm clock, I'm speaking from experience here, than to embrace the enjoyment of the glory of God in your life that's going to set you up for a day that exalts Him. That's why it's easy to forsake your brother or sister who is in need and say, I I just got to focus on me right now. And it's hard to love one another because self-love always trumps the love of one another when God is not central. And so the call of God 
is one where we realize that we are formed by his pleasure, for his pleasure. There's this divine communion takes place in this kindred work of the spirit in uniting our soul with God is one that God knows that our life's purpose is to draw our life and breath from him. And that is the enjoyment of God through these habits of grace. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we see that something had to take place for this to be reality. Like these habits are not just us putting on our shoes in the morning and tying them and picking up our bootstraps and saying, let's go for it. They actually were very costly habits that God did something to establish in our lives. That God would give us his word. That God would give us access to him in prayer. That we would belong to God's body. Like one of the great dangers is, is that we would think that somehow we could produce those things or we could do those things in and of ourselves because we forget that we are sinners that have been far from God. That are traitors against him. That are deserving judgment and wrath because God is perfect and we are unholy. And so something had to take place for this to happen. In fact, the whole Bible tells us of what had to take place in order for this to happen. Every word of the scriptures points us to this reality that had to take place. And you see it here in Hebrews 10, 19 through 21. I want to give you the big idea of today's sermon. We're going to break it down from there. Christ's sacrifice allows us to draw near to God and to love one another. Christ's sacrifice allows us to draw near to God and to love one another. So point number one is God's given us grace. Grace has been given. Grace is unmerited favor. Listen, I know you've heard about grace in here and you hear about it every Sunday, but, but, but let, it, let it just blow your ever-loving mind again and again and again because it's absolutely amazing. And I'm convinced that you don't hear this in the world. I'm convinced that this may be the only time you hear it once a week and so I'm gonna preach it. God's grace has been given and you don't deserve it, but he's graciously given it to you. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, the church is to be reminded that you need, you are in desperate need, you will always be in desperate need of God's grace. That's the reminder that you should get every single Sunday you're here. Every time you engage in the body of believers in the context of community, you should hear that God's favor and his grace awaits you through the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus Christ. I know it sounds rather poetic that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that his blood was spilt, that his bones were broken. It it, it sounds beautiful, and it really is a beautiful thing. But unless you can look at it and see just how horrific it is, and it was, 
you'll never see its beauty. You're talking about flesh nailed to wood. You're talking about nails crushing through bones. You're talking about breath being sucked out of a man who didn't deserve it and who bore the weight of your sin on his body on the tree. That's the atoning sacrifice of forgiveness. This is when we read the book of Hebrews, it it, it ties back to this picture of the sacrificial system that took place in the Old Testament. Once a year, at the time of Passover, the Jews would have to find the, the best of animals in order to bring those animals as a sacrifice before God so that their blood would be spilt for forgiveness of sin, so that they would be cleansed of the things that, they have, been, that have been done. But what the author of Hebrews says is that those sacrifices had limited power. It couldn't actually do what was needed to be done. That there would, it couldn't be an animal that died for a person. It had to be a person that died for a person. An animal cannot overtake or, or can take your sin. But the author of Hebrews in the beginning of chapter sin, but it serves as a reminder that our guilty consciences are still guilty. And how does it remind us of that? Well, every year, this sacrificial system would have to be followed. And every year, it would remind the person who engaged in the system that their sin was not completely done away with. That there would be more shedding of blood. And then there was a priest. The priest had to go, in order to go in the holies of holies, the, the place where God met with a person, the priest would have to offer sacrifices for himself and for his people that he went for. So the priest, who was the best of the best of that day and time, was not cleansed himself. He himself had to offer that sacrifices. And the veil, the curtain that stood before the holies of holies was one that was covered in blood. And it was absolutely disgusting. And what did it show? It showed just how disgusting our sin is. And the shedding of blood that took place was a symbol of the blood that should be shed from us. And so the priest would have to offer sacrifices for himself and his people. But Jesus... He had to offer no such sacrifice for himself. Jesus didn't have to find the perfect spotless lamb because he is the perfect spotless lamb. Jesus didn't need to find this incredible amount of animals for all the people, but Jesus himself, one man sufficient for every person's sin. Do you hear that? One person, Jesus Sufficient for every person's sin in all time, in all space, all who would confess with their mouth and believe in their, in their heart that Jesus is Lord, his blood was sufficient. And he didn't offer himself for himself because he was perfect, sinless, and spotless. 
But he offered himself for us. His sacrifice, your sin. His death for your life. This is the reminder of grace that we need. And we realize that when we engage in God's word, it was bought for by his blood. When we have access to God in prayer and we feel God moving and guiding us through his spirit as we engage in him through loving connection, that it was purchased by his blood. And that when we come united as a body of believers with all our so-called divisions and things that can stand among us, Jesus Christ takes out those divisions by his death, burial, and resurrection. And the author of Hebrews says something that's absolutely amazing here in that verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. So there is something that truly amazing that took place. I mean, the animals, when they were, when they were sacrificed, their bodies went in different places. They're, they, they were given, there were food. Some of it wasn't used. Some of it was used for other purposes. No, Jesus went straight to the top. Like he went into the heavens. Why? Because his sacrifice was good enough. It was sufficient for all time to do what God intended it for it to do. And God brought Jesus immediately to the right hand of the throne of heaven. So that his enemies would be his footstool. So that all those who would oppose him would now come under his judgment. And that all those whom he saved would now come under his grace. That's the sufficient sacrifice of God that we relish in today. With God's grace given. You need this. We need this. In understanding this. We, we live in a world of pretense and performance. There's these performance based incentives. That you have to do at work. If you're going to get those. That's a, and, and if you fall short of that. You think of yourself a lesser person. Or a lesser employee. There's this approval that we feel like. That we need from anyone and everyone around us. If I don't have my kids looking a certain way. If I'm not married. Or if my marriage doesn't look like this. Or if I've had a bad day. Or if I've had a bad week. I just better keep my mouth shut. Because I can't. I have to perform up to these set expectations. Or I have to pretend in order to make people like me. We live in this world of that. But grace says what matters is that God works in a different economy. He knows your deepest, darkest longings. He knows everything about you and he knows what you need before you even ask of it. There's a pastor, his name was William Willimon. He's a a chaplain at the Duke University. He's invited to preach in an inner city church. And the service with its preliminaries lasted a total of two and a half hours. When it was finally over, Willimon was exhausted and asked the pastor of the church, why did these people stay in church so long? And the pastor friend replied, he said, unemployment in this community runs nearly 50%. This means that when our people go about during the week, everything they see, everything they hear tells them you're a failure. You're nothing because you don't have a good job. You, if you don't have a nice car, 
you're nothing. If you don't have money, you're nothing. He says, so I must get their eyes focused on Christ. Through hymns, through prayers, through preaching, I say to him, that's a lie. This is reality. You are royalty. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. It takes a long time to get them straight because the world perverts them so badly. Is this this you? Maybe it takes you a long time to get you straight because the world perverts you so badly. Badly, You turn on the nightly news. If you open up your, your incentive package at work and all these things, you realize that everything says earn it, earn it, earn it. God's grace says you've been given it and it's free. Be reminded of God's grace. We have a confidence in that. And we have a high priest. Verse 22. Let us... Because this has happened, the sacrifice of Jesus, the confidence that we have in him, the high priest who has atoned for our sin, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. This is grace received. Grace has been given. Now we are those who receive God's grace. Listen, you you have... You've been granted access to the best relationship you can ever have to something that you don't deserve. Can you walk through that veil because the high priest's blood was spilt and can you receive that grace? Can you believe in it so much that you draw near to God because he's drawing near to you? Faith, it's an interesting thing. Faith is our belief in what Jesus Christ has done. That he is who he said he is. And he's going to do what he says he will do. That's faith, believing in that. But that belief produces something. Movement, right? And faith moves us towards God. Faith does not just sit on the cozy couch hoping that everything's going to happen. Faith works in cooperation with belief. And it produces actions. That's what James talks about. He says, you show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by what I do. Because faith without works is dead. And so faith moves us and draws us near to God. I want to say this, what we do with our time says a lot about us. We all have 24 hours a day, every person. That's one of the great levelers of humanity. Everybody has the same amount of time each and every day. You can't buy more. You can't buy less. Everybody's got the same amount of time. What we do with our time says a lot about us. It says a lot about what we love. And so we've got confessed desires and we've got expressed desires. Confessed desires are saying, I want this to happen. I want to grow in my relationship with God. I want this to take place as it relates with this person. And then we have expressed desires where those wants are actually walked out. And what happens is if we're not looking at our confessed desires and our expressed desires, then we could see two different things. Does my life match what I say I want? And this is the great dilemma of the church today, I believe. Because the church in America says we want more of Jesus. But do we really? 
Are we really willing to allow our lives to be aligned with what we say? And what it has led to is a belief like the Thomas Jefferson Bible. We take what we want and we throw out the rest. And that's one of the great dangers of American Christianity because it says within our Western individualistic mindset that we're in charge. But no, God is. And if God's in charge, all those 24 hours of every day are his. And they're to be used for his purposes in our life. And the movement of our life is moving towards him. Author David Mathis says, Knowing and enjoying Jesus is the final end of hearing his voice, having his ear, and belonging to his body. So, in other words, the thing that we do to draw near to God has a greater goal than the things themselves. The things themselves produce something. If you found it difficult to engage in the action, maybe the action has been the ends for you. But the action of prayer is a means to the end. That your soul would be more on fire and united with Christ. So a few months ago I started working out. And I was not very passionate about that action. Anybody ever been there? Like I could be running and it's just be like, when is this going to be over? (laughs) But then I realized that there's a means to an end. That it's going to make my life more healthy. That I'm going to have more, uh, I'm going to be more vibrant. That I'm actually going to enjoy things more fully. And so it started rearranging my diet and my habits because there was an ends that that was producing. And I got to engage through those ends through the means of diet and exercise. I wasn't really passionate about those things, but I got passionate about what they produced. And the same is true of God's word. And you will find in your cooperation with the habits of grace that those, those means that God gives you to enjoy him become an enjoyment in and of themselves. Because God is using those things to tell you day by day, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and I'm right here, right now. God is calling us to draw near to him. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's taking hold of what we confess because God is faithful. You you can always count on God meeting you right where you're at when you go to him. Always. Take it to the bank. You might not feel this emotional euphoria. You might not feel this emotional high. You got to be careful of that, but you could always count on God meeting you right where you're at when you come with great expectation for him. I'm not talking about saying God change my circumstances and I'll do this. I'm not talking about God take away this sickness. I'm not talking about those type of things. I'm saying one-to-one, God and you together, you can always count on him meeting you and receiving you when you go to receive him. Why? Because of the great high priest. Because of the one who was sacrificed for us. 
You don't have to engage in this ritualistic worship that says that you're not good enough to go before God, but you draw near to him based on the faithfulness of God, even in the midst of when you're faithless. I don't care if you lived like hell last week. Right now, you can come before God and he'll meet you. It's true for me. It's true for you. Because of Jesus, we have a great high priest. And then finally, there's grace that's been demonstrated. So what I just talked about, drawing near to God, that's the up and down vertical aspect of grace that we've received from him. Now, let's talk about it left to right. That grace that we receive vertically goes out horizontally. And it, 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 cannot, it cannot go to where it doesn't touch anybody else. That grace always, 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 always find someone to touch, find someone to bless, find someone to shine God's favor on. And that's where the author of Hebrews says, now let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not to neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. One another command that gives us hope in marriage, that tells us what we are called to do in marriage. Love your wife, how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I don't know if I could love my wife like Christ loved the church. Well, can you love the way God has loved you? God doesn't ask us to love without giving us the strength and power to love and showing us how to do it. And God showed us how to love one another by showing us the sacrificial death and atonement that took place in Jesus Christ. So husbands, you should die for your wife if necessary, but I think it's more important that you live for them, right? That's what it means to die for your wife is that you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after the Lord. Ephesians 432, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How do we forgive one another? As God in Christ forgave you. Do you struggle with unforgiveness? Do you struggle with unforgiveness? I wonder if God struggles with under unforgiveness. Nope. Nope. He made a way. He made a way through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ that says, be kind. God's kindness leads us to repentance through the cross. And maybe the sin that happened to you was so great that you continually harbor it and harbor it and bitterness fills your soul for another person or maybe multiple people. The cross of Christ compels us to forgive, not as we want to forgive or as we don't want to forgive, but as Christ has forgiven you. John 15, 12 through 13, this is my commandment that, that you love one another as I has, have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Where do we find that? At the cross of Christ. And this is the new command that God gives to you. A command of self-denial. A command of self-forgetfulness. Forgetting oneself is what it means to belong to God's body, the church.
forgetting oneself. Take up your cross. Follow after him. You know, we can come into a gathering like this and say it's, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? And I think if you go to give, you will get more than you would ever get if you thought about that. And when we go and we want to be poured out, like Paul says, as a drink offering, God will use us in a marvelous, marvelous way. He says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to close with this little illustration on how we can be a church that encourages one another. Right before Christmas, Winter Park had a tent set up outside and they had this ice skating rink. Anybody ever been to that ice skating rink in Winter Park? That little rink-a-dink thing there. And if there's a lot of people, then, you know, it's, it's like moving through a club trying to ice skate. If you're not a good ice skater, that's pretty messy, which happens to me. So I chose to go with my kids there, all right? That's, that's worse. They've never really been ice... Actually, they've never been ice skating. This is their first time ice skating. And so... Uh, me and my three kids, twins that are seven, five-year-old little girl, we go in there, and I could barely stand, and I'm doing the tap dance type deal on the ice, and then I'm holding all three of my kids' hands. And you know what I quickly have to learn? I, I quickly learned in a matter of about five seconds, if I don't focus on them, like, they're, they're all done. I got to stop focusing on me, and I got to encourage them. I got to help them. And so, if you see any, my wife has posted pictures of these, like their kid, the kids are on the ground and daddy's next to them to lift them up. The kids are holding my hand. They're against the rail. They're all over the place. They need help. They need encouragement. You know, Adeline, um, by the way, she was a quick learner. She always is. She's like super woman. I mean, she, 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 if she wants to learn something, she just begins to do it and it happens. Camden, he is clumsy, like he fell forward all the time. He had some bruises all over him. He was beat up, but man, he had fun. He had fun. And then Lily, she was my apprehensive one. She was like, I don't know if I could do this. And she hung out with daddy most of the time. And, but by the end of the deal, they were all really skating pretty well. I mean, about as good as me because I forgot about myself and I helped them. And it was really amazing to see how they enjoyed what they were doing. In the beginning, it was somewhat fearful and apprehensive. They, they began to enjoy, like, I can do this. And with the right amount of help and encouragement, they were, and there was an also like another ice skater guy that helped them a little bit too. Um, but uh, with the right amount of help and encouragement, they could do it. And I can't help but think that we're all on the ice rink to one degree or another. Like some of you, like you're, you're figure skaters. You're just blazing through. You're doing the loops and you've got this incredible rhythm of habits of grace in your life. I, I say hold somebody's hand. Help them. Grow them. Be a part of this life and engaging with them. Some of you are just clumsily falling and, and you got to say, hey, somebody help me. I need help in this life. I, I, don't, I don't know how to get through my marriage. I don't know how to, if you tell me to open the Bible, I don't know what to start, what to do. Like there's people here that are going to help you. And if you need help in any way, in health, in life, like we of all places should be a place that encourages you and comes alongside of you and helps pick you up. Because there's a day drawing near 
that we keep in mind. There is a day where Jesus will call an end to this world. He's going to say, this, this thing right now, this life that we're living, it has an expiration date. Now, the expiration date is going to lead us into the wrath of God or it's going to lead us into the life of God. And the day drawing near is the day where Jesus Christ reckons all things to himself and makes all things new. And so with the day drawing near in view, we've got to forget about me and we've got to start living so that other people can know the wondrous mercies of our saviors, of what Christ has done. This is true love, giving, sacrificing to see that one another are stirred up for good works, not neglecting meeting together, but realizing the power of God's presence is here among us right now, that we do this all for his sake. So friends, can we be as a church that denies ourselves and takes up the cross and follows after him, that holds fast to this unwavering confession that the one who promised is faithful and he will do it, and that we without pretense or performance, live in the grace of God. We swim in the grace of God. We are immersed in the grace of God. Let's go for that great day that Jesus has and let's walk in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your enduring work that you don't give up on us, that you're not done with us and that you've given us one another to come alongside of each other to point each other to you. Because God, we confess that while it all should be about Jesus, it's all not about Jesus. And we need the power of your spirit to make it all about Jesus Christ. So we'd live in him, we'd move in him, that we'd find our everything in him. Help us love one another as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her quick to forgive, quick to repent, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Let our love be pure, our hope be sincere. And God, may you show us every day that there is a sea of grace that awaits us, that we are to receive through your broken body and your shed blood. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing some songs together. In a little while, Pastor Josiah is going to give us instruction on how we take communion, which today we're going to do that together as one body because one body was broken for his church. Let's worship.